Seeing by Moonlight, a novel by M. F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle, read by Thomas Viborg Thune. Purchase a copy of Seeing by Moonlight. Visit Amazon or any online bookstore. The music and fashions of Schwabing were unfamiliar, just far enough off his American norm to make him feel displaced, but that Alex could look beyond. After all, the dialogue of the young is universal, and in the bars and discos of this student-heavy quarter, he could see all the courtings and rivalries and ritual expulsions of stress he knew. No, the discomfort came from a much simpler place. It was how young they were. Like most men, Alex still wanted to be seen as boyish, just not as an outright boy. And these were boys, too loud and too simple in any language. This surge of inner fuddy-duddiness shocked Alex. He was bound, Dr. Leal had promised, to show surprising reactions due to the stress and alienation of travel. Maybe this sudden maturity was just a knee-jerk response. His mother would not approve of this place, and normally that would have been all he needed to go in head first. But he had an oppressive feeling that he could neither trace nor shake. His pulse had quickened, and he thought of a lab mouse in a maze, wondering that the world could be so cramped and confusing that this feeling evaporated almost instantaneously on seeing Elisa could well be chalked up to the way she looked in the streetlights. Her outfit was after hours but sophisticated, with a trim jacket and linen trousers. Alex imagined that she had to meet formidable men on their turf, both day and night, and that she had a zest for matching them strength for strength. He was impressed, and beyond it, startlingly happy to see her. In this neighborhood of wild children, she could stand out just by being herself. She grinned coyly, giving him the chance to speak first this time. He looked around this block of music and fighting and mating, and then back to her. So, where would you have had us meet? At an exceptional restaurant. But that would not have been as much fun as seeing you here now. Alex noticed a flash on her right hand, and now couldn't remember if he had seen it on her earlier in the day. Pardon me for asking, what's that ring you're wearing? She lifted her hand and regarded it with a smile. This? she grinned. It is the watchful eye. And now Alex could see, etched in silver, a round and intense eye. Two more costumey pieces neighbored in on other fingers, but they were obviously unimportant. The eye was the one that mattered. It sees you, but you see it, and so you are always joined. 
Alex felt paths light up in his mind as he considered what to say next. The silence might not have lasted five seconds, but they were invigorating seconds, and in them Elisa smirked. Finally, Alex found his riposte. Does the eye watch only you? She became mischievous. No, he watches many. Maybe he watches you, too. Alex had always prided himself on his luck when it came to reading people, but this was more like words leaping off the page and tattooing themselves on his skin. A rush of wicked delight prickled up his spine at the moment she spoke her jibe. And even now, as he met her eyes, he did not just see her petite nose and chin, but a whirling globe of feelings, defiance, curiosity, and now something else. What was it? Sadness. A jealousy-guarded sadness. How had he not seen it before? He tilted his head only slightly as he considered it all, but it must have communicated volumes, because she suddenly flushed and looked down, as if she was wearing a robe and it had fallen open. Suddenly saying anything more about the ring seemed improper. Instead, she just said, Walk with me, American Alex, with the secret past. Do our business under the moon? Why not? We all like the moon. Elisa was particularly helpful in providing some contacts at customs who would walk him through the process. Alex's head was still sloshy from that dark German beer, but he scrawled a few notes when needed. Soon they had strolled right out of Schwabing into quieter streets, and the conversation had wandered into more pleasant territory too. They found a café in a small courtyard there, and made themselves comfortable. He took a chair while she folded her legs up onto a bench along the wall. It was as clear a signal of informality as any. As they talked, Alex was amazed at how thoroughly it had stopped being a business conversation. In the world of Mesa, Arizona, he was usually not surprised to have an attractive woman's attention, but here he suddenly wondered why she would be paying him any mind at all. He had already agreed to her price for the two cars, so she had no reason left for this conversation but real personal interest. It was just past 11 p.m. What did that mean to his time zone scrambled perception? Was Pete on his way back to the lot from lunch? Elisa had just finished articulating an urgent point about what she called the coming of an impersonal age, and as she turned her head to sip from a mug of tea, she unfolded a leg from under her, turned her foot in two prompt circles, slipped it out of her shoe, and then clenched her toes with a flourish swiftly like fingers trilling across piano keys. The way her leg had moved in such smooth concert with her arm 
bringing the mug up to her lips like a counterbalance, had a charm he had never known existed. That little foot wiggle immediately stamped itself as a full-color memory. They talked about childhood. What he learned was not laid out biographically, but could be surmised from the way she presented her memories. She had grown up in smaller environs of Nordhausen, and the mass of humanity in Munich still filled her with wonder and apprehension. Her parents had died when she was young, a car accident which she tried to discount as long in the past, but which clearly still lived vividly in her memory. She had been raised since then by Uncle Philibert. She had a deep bond with him, and spoke of him more than any of the friends she had grown up with. She had gone to some sort of private school located in the village. Other children came there from the outside, but not all stayed. He gathered it was a demanding and rigorous place. She had any number of scientific terms at the ready in multiple languages, but some of the history and culture of the West that Alex took for granted was hazy to her, a product of her early years behind the wall. The wall. Now this was something they shared. Of his time before the orphanage, he had no concrete memories, only impressions, damp and dark ones. He had told Dr. Leal during his therapy sessions that he had dreams about bright lights shining into his eyes and about echoes like caves. He had been diagnosed with mild but manageable claustrophobia. This fascinated Elisa. She probed his descriptions of the dreams and how the phobia manifested itself, usually not much more than an irritability or restlessness. Her attention was intoxicating, the way she saw him as worth studying, the way she quizzed him on the colloquial particulars of his American word choices rolled them around until satisfied she'd mastered their nuances. He felt himself falling behind in the conversation, but he had a trick for such occasions, one rarely used but valuable. Raising his chin to look directly at her, he focused on a point on the wall behind her head. He slowed his breath, concentrated all his curiosity on her, and in the middle of a long exhale, he asked a quiet question. If you could go anywhere, right now, by any means, where would you go? Alex had asked this question of many people over the years. A bank loan officer, a retiring couple that didn't yet know that a van was just what they needed for their travels. A handful of women... Everyone had an answer, but no one could answer immediately. Most were unused to anyone caring to know. Some, he could tell, had not articulated such a desire, but would do so on the spot for fear of being caught out as dull. But it always gave him some insight into the person. Elisa's reaction startled him. 
There was no hesitation or confusion, just an instant crackle of warm energy, as if he'd reached out and tickled her. It lasted a half second, it felt a hundred times longer, and then she replied, You must follow me. What a funny thing it was, Alex realized, that sex was not on his mind. It was there, the eternal drive, the loud realization of Elise's qualities, and the rapport between them. Maybe things could have been stared that way. But, as he followed her into a closed and darkened beer garden, where the trees became silhouettes in front of the lights of the surrounding buildings, he realized there was this funny conspiracy they had not put to words, that a more interesting destination was possible. The sounds of nightlife, more subdued now with the hour, still drifted through from the streets. She had not spoken yet, and Alex did not care. He was utterly guilty of staring at the curve of her neck as she looked up to the stars. You are careless, she finally said, to look at a stranger like you did back there. Careless. I'd never thought to use that word for it. Of course, she said, turning her gaze towards the western horizon. You have not travelled far. Before Alex could take exception, she cut him off. But I will answer your question. I would go somewhere I could look at the stars always, even when the sun was out. Alex chuckled. That's not a real place. She looked at him and grinned. You did not make this part of the rules. Alex asked the only possible question to follow. And how will you get there? She smiled wider. By rocket! Alex realized he had now seen some of the dreamer inside the womb, and that she had, again and finally overthrown his attempt to seize the conversation. He had the uncanny sense he had paid the price for lunging at a judo master, or simply a very beautiful woman. Friday, August 6th, 1999 Alex wallowed in that rough consciousness born from too few hours of sleep for the body to recover, and a brain too lively from the evening to be tired revving high in a low gear. But he munched on his breakfast of pretzels and wise Würste, and thought himself back into that garden, and he grinned. What a sight he must make to the other guests in the restaurant, the man with the grey swollen eyes and the mad grin chewing boisterously on sausage. It was nearly ten, and he stole a quick shower before throwing some clothes in a bag. Now he was paying for a hotel room to hold the rest of his baggage for the weekend. Logic reminded him that this would all go on the final bill to Cal Garacti. But his assumption of how his mother would react to such an extravagance had arrived before Logic. 
Before he left, he grabbed one last item. The little shop was precisely where Uncle had indicated. Alex found this more surprising than if it had not been there. He glanced at the pipe case under his arm, and he did, in fact, feel a little shudder of history bringing this thing back to its birthplace. Elisa had agreed to accompany him, and he felt relieved that she was not about to treat it as a chore. She poked his arm. I am excited. Are you excited? She was wearing a long cream scarf. Alex unconsciously looked down, bashful. He could think of very few people in his contemporary life who could inspire that response in him. Without a word, he concealed the case under his coat, then pushed open the door and entered. The man inside was Shirley Vecker. His age could not be guessed, but he looked so proudly settled into this old place that it was not hard to imagine he had been part of it for forty years. He was peering at one of his creations through a glass, delicately applying polish to its accents. But on hearing the door, he immediately rose. His posture was slightly crooked, and though he had a small frame, he sported a satisfied belly. Guten Morgen, he exclaimed with relish. Alex replied in kind, and it took only those two words for Weka to take the cue and switch to English. American! Welcome, welcome! Paused briefly and squinted. You are here for cigar? He waved a single hand at the glass counter, where a few boxes presented themselves. Alex shook his head and Vecker brightened. Splendid! They are terrible. I keep them only for tourists. He put a hand to his chest. No offense to you, sir. Alex heard Elisa giggle. She was still by the entrance, attention already riveted to one of Vecker's creations on the wall. Alex expanded. I'm actually here about a pipe. Vecker spun around, lifting a pair of spectacles off the rear counter and slipping them over his ears in one clean motion. He gazed at the wall lined with pipes already. Alex could tell, seeking to make a match for his customer. He murmured to himself, started to reach, then held back. He looked over his shoulder at Alex, mouth half open, paused at a mental crossroads, Alex seized the moment. Actually, I already have the pipe I came to talk about. He produced the box from where he had been awkwardly hiding it. I have been instructed to tell you that some of your handiwork has come home. Vecker came out from behind the counter, moving reverently. He reached out a hand and said, I know what is in here already. I can see it in my mind, and still I must open it. He took the box from Alex, cradled it, and then opened it, as if its occupant were in a shallow sleep, his lips squeezed tight in a mix of joy and 
overpowering recollection. Even Alex felt moisture at the corner of his eyes. He thought he heard Elisa give a little cry, like a lonely bird. Vecker spoke to the pipe. I made you in 1965. I wanted to make something like the first pipe of my father's I had ever sold. Wanted to see if I could do it as well as he had, with only the memory of it to guide me. I never meant to sell you, and I never did. But there was a man traveling with a young woman and a boy. Still under the same spell, he brought his eyes up to Alex. And you were that boy. You were the boy. Alex had walked in this store not three minutes earlier, never imagining this awe he felt now. Forgive me, I do not remember. Elisa stepped around from behind Alex now, peering in close at the pipe. It is marvelous. Such a story. And now Vecker took his first clear look at her, and suddenly his arms tightened and he pulled the case away. He sputtered two or three false starts before finally barking something at her in German, too rapid for Alex's ears. He rolled his head, swept the glasses from his face, and set them on the counter. I'm sorry, he eventually said to both of them. This excitement overrode my senses and then my manners. From you, young lady, I especially ask forgiveness. Elisa nodded. It is already forgotten. Alex could see that while she wasn't flustered, she had instinctively straightened that professional strength activating itself for the situation. She was no longer simply enjoying herself, and Alex felt a little grief at that. She turned to him. I'm going to wait outside. And she left, walking a slow outward spiral that gave her one last chance to see the whole room. Vecker brought a small stool out from a hiding place behind the counter and sat. It still looked like he was coming back from a faraway place. You two, he waggled a finger. You are, um... He summoned up a smile that finished the insinuation. Oh no, Alex insisted. Friendly colleagues. We really only just met. But she invited me to accompany her to Zurich. It would not have been chivalrous to say no. Vecker made a noise more like a grunt than a chuckle. A girl like that may not need your gallantry. She is dangerous, my boy. But Vecker's interest soon returned to the pipe. He opened the case once more, looked at it for the length of a long sigh, then delicately shut it and offered it up. Alex attempted to refuse, but Vecker insisted. Please. It is yours. Whether you know it or not, you have inherited this, and you have a train to catch. But if you would do an old man a service, please, when you return, bring it back, and in exchange I will tell you the rest of its story. Alex took the box. I will. As he stepped out of the shop into the daylight, he saw Elisa crouched on the sidewalk, 
petting a cat whose fur looked like the spattering of three colors of paint. She stood and impulsively took Alex's arm. A marvelous place. Thank you for taking me. They strolled off together, and Alex needed to ask, What did he say to you when he spoke in German? You did not understand? Elisa seemed surprised. It was funny. He said, Leave it alone. You are stealing it. You're stealing it? Not, don't steal it? Elisa nodded, and Alex could only wonder what there was to steal. Alex had never taken a real trip by train. The passenger cabin was not particularly romantic, being all smooth metal and modern muted colors, but he relished the wide variety of travelers, the flare-up of noise as the late passengers pleaded for entry, and then the little lurch of the train setting into motion. He watched out the window for a long time, as the houses gave way to the sturdy green of the countryside. He had purchased tickets for the first-class car, but couldn't see much difference between it and the second-class cars, except that he and Elisa were able to sit across from each other without seats next to them. This extra foot or two of space left him with a sense of delightful intimacy with her. The scenery felt so grand and old. The far-off Alps rang alongside them, in a waving line of white. He had that feeling again from when he had first entered Munich, that sense of stretching consciousness. He lost himself in it. Just long enough to forget, he had pressed his cheek fully into the cold window. Elisa's chuckle snapped him out of it, and he realized she had not spoken since they had left the station. I like the way you experience it, she said. You have not been this excited in some time. I guess so, Alex replied, finally letting himself fall back into his seat. I love the trains, Elisa exulted. I love to be whisked along. When we are all crowded in our cars, we are savages, desperate for space and survival. Here we are closer, and yet we feel safer. We are all traveling together. Alex smirked. Well, now you're on my turf. Okay, so we all lose a little humanity at rush hour, but a train can't give you the feeling you get in your own car, out on a good stretch of road. You know your car, your bond with it, and what you can do together feels powerful. It's your adventure. Turn west, stop at the lake, explore that little town, a train, that big rail, that engine. It's decided where you're going, and you can stay on or get off, but you can't change it. Elisa began with a pout, but threw it away. Salesman, she teased, you will have to take me for a drive somewhere. And somehow Alex was flooded with the image of this, him and her, out on the road. Not just one road, but many, all at once, one winding out of a mountain in the sun, another cool and urban at night, and many more. 
How could they be on them all at once? It was a strange and quick daydream. But Alex wondered how he could be so taken with her so quickly. He could swear she had somehow fastened herself to him, that his presence was more vital to her than she would show. He wondered how many men had sworn to the self-delusion for her. Becker was right. This woman was dangerous. They navigated to the refreshment car. Alex had to suppress his instinct to gawk at all the foreign fare. Elisa seemed so effortlessly cosmopolitan, and here he could be distracted by an alien bag of chips. Bear was international, though, and it was the afternoon. She opted for an orangina. A man entered now, and walked straight up to Elisa as she idly sipped. He wore a wool suit, and had a kindly face but a very broad build. Miss, he announced in casual German, Miss, I think you have dropped this hat. And from his pocket he pulled a soft flat cap. Something about the way it dangled in his hand was funny, as if it were heavy in places. Though it could not have been hers, Elisa enjoyed looking at it anyway, perhaps wondering if she had owned it in another life. No, she replied. I have never seen it before. You are certain, young lady? It would suit no woman on the train better. I am sure I have seen it on you. Alex gamed the odds of whether the man was a salesman or a flirt. Flirt was the place for the safe money. Seemingly without moving her head, Elisa changed the aspect of her eyes from hello to that will be all, thank you. It was a formidable trick, and Alex imagined she had ended many meetings with it. She added a verbal, I am sorry, it is a mistake. But it was mostly to punctuate the look and make it more polite. The man ignored the hint, and his smile now felt less charming. You should try it on. Elisa's fingers squeezed her bottle. The man grimaced, as if in pain, but jabbed the hat at her. Wear it! Enough was enough, and Alex lifted his arm to grab the man's big shoulder. But before he landed his grip, a high male voice piped up from the corner. My goodness! It is my hat! A slight, wiry man in fitted clothes rose from his table in the corner. He had his hair back in a tight sweep. Alex's first impression was of a greyhound, but his voice was soft and ingratiating, and he continued to speak even as he slipped between Elisa and the man with the hat. I mean, rather, it's my wife's. It must have slipped from my coat pocket. How silly! I remember now. I put it in there two weeks ago, on that night when we went to the gardens for a walk. Can I have gone so long without putting my hands in my pocket since? He took hold of the hat, and the man seemed reluctant to release it, yet hesitant to question the fellow's story. You are sure this hat is yours? 
the larger man asked. Unmistakable, the little man declared. He was so much smaller than the man in the wool suit, yet seemed oblivious to it, happy only to have reclaimed his property. The bigger man harumphed and turned. Alex was in his path, with one last chance to do anything useful in this incident. You should apologize to the lady, he said. With another internal struggle, the man turned back to Elisa, gave a quick bow of the head, and then brushed by Alex on his way out. Alex quickly stepped to Elisa to comfort her, but she waved off his attentions. She seemed out of sorts, which was natural enough. Instead, Alex turned to the pale man and offered his hand and a thank you in German. If you please, he replied in crisp English. They all spotted Alex so quickly here. I am the one feeling gratitude, for surely I would otherwise never have known the fate of my wife's hat. Alex felt a growing discomfort, late-coming stress over the encounter, combined with the awkward feeling that he kept not doing the right thing. He blurted. Can I buy you some refreshments? Even if you didn't mean to, you helped my friend out of an uncomfortable situation. I could not dare refuse. Seeing by Moonlight A novel by M. F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle Read by Thomas Viborg Thune Or any online bookstore